0: Chapter Nineteen of At the Villa Rose by A. E. W. Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nineteen, Helene explains, and what she heard made her blood run cold. Madame Dauvray spoke in a hushed, awe-struck voice. There is a presence in the room. It was horrible to Celia that the poor woman was speaking the jargon which she herself had taught to her. I will speak to it," said Madame Dauvray, and raising her voice a little she asked, Who are you that come to us from the spirit world? No answer came, but all the while Celia knew that Wethermill was stealing noiselessly across the floor, towards that voice which spoke this professional patter with so simple a solemnity. Answer, she said, and the next moment she uttered a little shrill cry, a cry of enthusiasm, "'Fingers touch my forehead, now they touch my cheek, now they touch my throat.' And upon that, the voice ceased. But a dry, choking sound was heard, and a horrible scuffling and tapping of feet upon the polished floor, a sound most dreadful. They were murdering her, murdering an old kind woman silently and methodically in the darkness. The girl strained and twisted against the pillar furiously, like an animal in a trap. But the coils of rope held her. The scarf suffocated her. The scuffling became a spasmodic sound, with intervals between, and then ceased altogether. A voice spoke, a man's voice, Weathermill's. But Celia would never have recognized it. It had so shrill and fearful an intonation. That's horrible, he said, and his voice suddenly rose to a scream. Hush, Hélène Vauquier whispered sharply, what's the matter? she fell against me her whole weight oh you are afraid of her yes yes and in the darkness wethermill's voice came querulously between long breaths yes now i am afraid of her helene vauquier replied again contemptuously she spoke aloud and quite indifferently nothing of any importance whatever one would have gathered had occurred i will turn on the light she said and through the chinks in the curtain the bright light shone Celia heard a loud rattle upon the table, and then fainter sounds of the same kind. And as a kind of horrible accompaniment, there ran the laboured breathing of the man, which broke now and then with a sobbing sound. They were stripping Madame Dauvray of her pearl necklace, her bracelets, and her rings. Celia had a sudden importunate vision of the old woman's fat, podgy hands loaded with brilliance. A jingle of keys followed. "'That's all.' Hélène Vauquier said. She might have just turned out the pocket of an old dress. There was the sound of something heavy and inert, falling with a dull crash upon the floor. A woman laughed, and again it was Hélène Vauquier. "'Which is the key to the safe?' asked Adèle. And Hélène Vauquier replied, "'That one.' Celia heard someone drop heavily into a chair. It was Wethermill, and he buried his face in his hands.' Hélène went over to him, and laid her hand upon his shoulder and shook him. "'Do you go and get her jewels out of the safe?' she said, and she spoke with a rough friendliness. "'You promised you would blindfold the girl,' he cried hoarsely. Hélène Vauquier laughed. "'Did I?' she said. "'Well, what does it matter? There would have been no need to—' and his voice broke off shudderingly. "'Wouldn't there? And what of us, Adèle and me?' She knows certainly that we are here. Come, go and get the jewels. The key of the door is on the mantel-shelf. While you are away, we too will arrange the pretty baby in there. She pointed to the recess. Her voice rang with contempt. Wethermill staggered across the room like a drunkard and picked up the key in trembling fingers. Celia heard it turn in the lock and the door bang. Wethermill had gone upstairs. Celia leaned back, her heart fainting within her arrange it was her turn now she was to be arranged she had no doubt what sinister meaning that innocent word concealed the dry choking sound the horrid scuffling of feet upon the floor were in her ears and it had taken so long so terribly long she heard the door open again and shut again then steps approached the recess the curtains were flung back and the two women stood in front of her the tall adele with her red hair and her coarse-good looks and her sapphire dress, and the hard-featured, sallow maid. The maid was carrying Celia's white coat. They did not mean to murder her then. They meant to take her away, and even then a spark of hope lit up in the girl's bosom. For even with her illusions crushed, she still clung to life with all the passion of her young soul. The two women stood and looked at her, and then Adèle Rossignol burst out laughing. Vauquier approached the girl, and Celia had a moment's hope that she meant to free her altogether, but she only loosed the cords which fixed her to the pillar and the high stool. "'Mademoiselle will pardon me for laughing,' said Adèle Rossignol politely, "'but it was Mademoiselle who invited me to try my hand. And really, for so smart a young lady, Mademoiselle looks too ridiculous.' she lifted the girl up and carried her back writhing and struggling into the salon the whole of the pretty room was within view but in the embrasure of a window something lay dreadfully still and quiet celia held her head averted but it was there and though it was there all the while the women joked and laughed adele rossignol feverishly helene vauquier with a real glee most horrible to see "'I beg Mademoiselle not to listen to what Adèle is saying,' exclaimed Hélène, and she began to ape in a mincing, extravagant fashion the manner of a saleswoman in a shop. Mademoiselle has never looked so ravishing. This style is the last word of fashion. It is what there is of the most chic. Of course Mademoiselle understands that the costume is not intended for playing the piano, nor, indeed, for the ballroom. It leaps to one's eyes that dancing would be difficult.' nor is it intended for much conversation. It is a costume for a mood of quiet reflection. But I assure, mademoiselle, that for pretty young ladies who are the favourites of rich old women, it is the style most recommended by the criminal classes. All the woman's bitter rancour against Celia, hidden for months beneath a mask of humility, burst out and ran riot now. She went to Adèle Rossignol's help, and they flung the girl face downwards upon the sofa her face struck the cushion at one end her feet the cushion at the other the breath was struck out of her body she lay with her bosom heaving helene vauquier watched her for a moment with a grin paying herself now for her respectful speeches and attendance yes lie quietly and reflect little fool she said savagely were you wise to come here and interfere with helene hadn't you better have stayed and danced in your rags at Montmartre? Are the smart frocks and the pretty hats and the good dinners worth the price? Ask yourself these questions, my dainty little friend.' She drew up a chair to Celia's side, and sat down upon it comfortably. "'I will tell you what we are going to do with you, Mademoiselle Celie. Adèle Rossignol and that kind gentleman, Monsieur Wethermill, are going to take you away with them. You will be glad to go, won't you, dearie?' for you love Monsieur Wethermill, don't you? Oh, they won't keep you long enough for you to get tired of them. Do not fear. But you will not come back, Mademoiselle Celie. No, you have seen too much to-night, and every one will think that Mademoiselle Celie helped murder and rob her benefactress. They are certain to suspect some one, so why not you, pretty one?" Celia made no movement. She lay trying to believe that no crime had been committed that that lifeless body did not lie against the wall, and then she heard in the room above a bed wheeled roughly from its place. The two women heard it, too, and looked at one another. He should look in the safe, said Vauquier. Go and see what he is doing. And Adèle Rossignol ran from the room. As soon as she was gone, Vauquier followed to the door, listened, closed it gently, and came back. She stooped down mademoiselle celie she said in a smooth silky voice which terrified the girl more than her harsh tones there is just one little thing wrong in your appearance one tiny little piece of bad taste if mademoiselle will pardon a poor servant the expression i did not mention it before adele rossignol she is so severe in her criticism is she not but since we are alone i will presume to point out to mademoiselle that those diamond eardrops which i see peeping out under the scarf are a little ostentatious in her present predicament they are a provocation to thieves will mademoiselle permit me to remove them she caught her by the neck and lifted her up she pushed the lace scarf up at the side of celia's head celia began to struggle furiously convulsively she kicked and writhed and a little tearing sound was heard One of her shoe-buckles had caught in the thin silk covering of the cushion and slit it. Hélène Vauquier let her fall. She felt composedly in her pocket and drew from it an aluminium flask, the same flask which Le Maire was afterward to snatch up in the bedroom in Geneva. Celia stared at her in dread. She saw the flask flashing in the light. She shrank from it. She wondered what new horror was to grip her. Hélène unscrewed the top, and laughed pleasantly mademoiselle celie is under control she said we shall have to teach her that it is not polite in young ladies to kick she pressed celia down with a hand upon her back and her voice changed lie still she commanded savagely do you hear do you know what this is mademoiselle celie and she held the flask towards the girl's face this is vitriol my pretty one Move, and I'll spoil these smooth white shoulders for you. How would you like that? Celia shuddered from head to foot, and burying her face in the cushion lay trembling. She would have begged for death upon her knees rather than suffer this horror. She felt Vauquier's fingers lingering with a dreadful caressing touch upon her shoulders and about her throat. She was within an ace of the torture, the disfigurement, and she knew it. She could not pray for mercy she could only lie quite still as she was bidden trying to control the shuddering of her limbs and body it would be a good lesson for mademoiselle celie Helene continued slowly i think that if mademoiselle celie will forgive the liberty i ought to inflict it one little tilk of the flask and the satin of these pretty shoulders she broke off suddenly and listened some sound heard outside had given celia a respite perhaps more than a respite. Hélène set the flask down upon the table. Her avarice had got the better of her hatred. She roughly plucked the earrings out of the girl's ears. She hid them quickly in the bosom of her dress, with her eye upon the door. She did not see a drop of blood gather on the lobe of Celia's ear and fall into the cushion on which her face was pressed. She had hardly hidden them away before the door opened and Adèle Rossignol burst into the room what is the matter asked vauquier the safe's empty we have searched the room we have found nothing she cried everything is in the safe helene insisted no the two women ran out of the room and up the stairs celia lying on the settee, heard all the quiet of the house change to noise and confusion it was as though a tornado raged in the room overhead Furniture was tossed about and over the room, feet stamped and ran, locks were smashed with heavy blows. For many minutes the storm raged. Then it ceased, and she heard the accomplices clattering down the stairs without a thought of the noise they made. They burst into the room. Harry Wethermill was laughing hysterically, like a man off his head. He had been wearing a long, dark overcoat when he entered the house. Now he carried the coat over his arm. He was in a dinner-jacket, and his black clothes were dusty and disordered. "'It's all for nothing!' he screamed, rather than cried. "'Nothing but the one necklace and a handful of rings.' In a frenzy, he actually stooped over the dead woman and questioned her. "'Tell us, where did you hide them?' he cried. "'The girl will know,' said Hélène. Wethermill rose up and looked wildly at Celia. "'Yes, yes,' he said." He had no scruple, no pity any longer for the girl. There was no gain from the crime, unless she spoke. He would have placed his head in the guillotine for nothing. He ran to the writing-table, tore off half a sheet of paper, and brought it over with a pencil to the sofa. He gave them to Vauquier to hold, and, drawing out the sofa from the wall, slipped in behind. He lifted up Celia with Rossignol's help, and made her sit in the middle of the sofa, with her feet upon the ground he unbound her wrists and fingers and vauquier placed the writing-pad and the paper on the girl's knees her arms were still pinioned above the elbows she could not raise her hands high enough to snatch the scarf from her lips but with the pad held up to her she could write where did she keep her jewels quick take the pencil and write said wethermill holding her left wrist vauquier thrust the pencil into her right hand and awkwardly and slowly her gloved fingers moved across the page. "'I do not know,' she wrote, and with an oath Wethermill snatched the paper up, tore it into pieces, and threw it down. "'You have got to know,' he said, his face purple with passion, and he flung out his arm as though he would dash his fist into her face. But as he stood with his arm poised, there came a singular change upon his face. "'Did you hear anything?' he asked in a whisper all listened and all heard in the quiet of the night a faint click and after an interval they heard it again and after another but shorter interval yet once more that's the gate said wethermill in a whisper of fear and a pulse of hope stirred within celia he seized her wrists crushed them together behind her and swiftly fastened them once more adele rossignol sat down upon the floor took the girl's feet upon her lap, and quietly wrenched off her shoes. The light! cried "Weathermill!" in an agonized voice, and Hélène Vauquier flew across the room and turned it off. All three stood holding their breath, straining their ears in the dark room. On the hard gravel of the drive outside, footsteps became faintly audible and grew louder and came near. Adèle whispered to Vauquier, Has the girl a lover?" And Hélène Vauquier, even at that moment, laughed quietly. All Celia's heart and youth rose in revolt against her extremity. If she could only free her lips. The footsteps came round the corner of the house. They sounded on the drive outside the very window of this room. One cry and she would be saved. She tossed back her head and tried to force the handkerchief out from between her teeth but Wethermill's hand covered her mouth and held it closed. The footsteps stopped, a light shone for a moment outside. The very handle of the door was tried. Within a few yards help was there, help and life. Just a frail latticed wooden door stood between her and them. She tried to rise to her feet. Adèle Rossignol held her legs firmly. She was powerless. She sat with one desperate hope that whoever it was who was in the garden he would break in were it even another murderer he might have more pity than the callous brutes who held her now he could have no less but the footsteps moved away it was the withdrawal of all hope celia heard wethermill behind her draw a long breath of relief that seemed to celia almost the cruelest part of the whole tragedy they waited in the darkness until the faint click of the gate was heard once more. Then the light was turned up again. "'We must go,' said Wethermill. All the three of them were shaken. They stood looking at one another, white and trembling. They spoke in whispers. To get out of the room to have done with the business, that had suddenly become their chief necessity. Adèle picked up the necklace and the rings from the satinwood table, and put them into a pocket-bag which was slung at her waist.' Hippolyte shall turn these things into money, she said. He shall set about it to-morrow. We shall have to keep the girl now, until she tells us where the rest is hidden. Yes, keep her, said Hélène. We will come over to Geneva in a few days, as soon as we can. We will persuade her to tell. She glanced darkly at the girl. Celia shivered. Yes, that's it, said Wethermill. But don't harm her. She will tell of her own will. You will see. The delay won't hurt now. We can't come back and search for a little while.' He was speaking in a quick, agitated voice. And Adèle agreed. The desire to be gone had killed even their fury at the loss of their prize. Sometime they would come back, but they would not search now. They were too unnerved. "'Hélène,' said Wethermill, "'get to bed. I'll come up with the chloroform and put you to sleep.' Hélène Vauquier hurried upstairs. It was part of her plan that she should be left alone in the villa, chloroformed. Thus only could suspicion be averted from herself. She did not shrink from the completion of the plan now. She went, the strange woman, without a tremor to her ordeal. Wethermill took the length of rope which had fixed Celia to the pillar. I'll follow, he said, and as he turned he stumbled over the body of Madame Dauvray, With a shrill cry he kicked it out of his way and crept up the stairs. Adèle Rossignol quickly set the room in order. She removed the stool from its position in the recess, and carried it to its place in the hall. She put Celia's shoes upon her feet, loosening the cord from her ankles. Then she looked about the floor and picked up here and there a scrap of cord. In the silence the clock upon the mantel-shelf chimed the quarter-past eleven she screwed the stopper on the flask of vitriol very carefully and put the flask away in her pocket she went into the kitchen and fetched the key of the garage she put her hat on her head she even picked up and drew on her gloves afraid lest she should leave them behind and then weathermill came down again adele looked at him inquiringly it is all done he said with a nod of the head i will bring the car down to the door then i'll drive you to geneva and come back with the car here.' He cautiously opened the lattice door of the window, listened for a moment, and ran silently down the drive. Adèle closed the door again, but she did not bolt it. She came back into the room, she looked at Celia as she lay back upon the settee, with a long glance of indecision. And then, to Celia's surprise, for she had given up all hope, the indecision in her eyes became pity. She suddenly ran across the room and knelt down before Celia. With quick and feverish hands, she untied the cord which fastened the train of her skirt above her knees. At first Celia shrank away, fearing some new cruelty, but Adèle's voice came to her ears, speaking, and speaking with remorse. "'I can't endure it,' she whispered. "'You are so young, too young to be killed.' The tears were rolling down Celia's cheeks. Her face was pitiful and beseeching. "'Don't look at me like that, for God's sake, child,' Adèle went on, and she chafed the girl's ankles for a moment. "'Can you stand?' she asked. Celia nodded her head gratefully. After all, then, she was not to die. It seemed to her hardly possible. But before she could rise, a subdued whir of machinery penetrated into the room and the motor-car came slowly to the front of the villa. "'Keep still,' said Adèle hurriedly, and she placed herself in front of Celia. Wethermill opened the wooden door, while Celia's heart raced in her bosom. "'I will go down and open the gate,' he whispered. "'Are you ready?' "'Yes.' Wethermill disappeared, and this time he left the door open. Adèle helped Celia to her feet. For a moment she tottered, then she stood firm. "'Now run,' whispered Adèle. "'Run, child, for your life!' Celia did not stop to think whither she should run, or how she should escape from Wethermill's search. She could not ask that her lips and her hands might be freed. She had but a few seconds. She had one thought, to hide herself in the darkness of the garden. Celia fled across the room, sprang wildly over the sill, ran, tripped over her skirt, steadied herself, and was swung off the ground by the arms of Harry Wethermill. "'There we are,' he said, with his shrill, wavering laugh. "'I opened the gate before.' And suddenly Celia hung inert in his arms. The light went out in the salon. Adèle Rossignol, carrying Celia's cloak, stepped out of the side of the window. "'She has fainted,' said Wethermill. "'Wipe the mould off her shoes, and off yours too, carefully.' I don't want them to think that this car's been out of the garage at all. Adele stooped and obeyed. Wethermill opened the door of the car and flung Celia into a seat. Adele followed and took her seat opposite the girl. Wethermill stepped carefully again onto the grass and with the toe of his shoe scraped up and ploughed the impressions which he and Adele Rossignol had made on the ground, leaving those which Celia had made. He came back to the window. Then he took the chauffeur's seat, and the car glided silently down the drive and out by the gate. As soon as it was on the road, it stopped. In an instant, Adèle Rossignol's head was out of the window. "'What is it?' she exclaimed in fear. Wethermill pointed to the roof. He had left the light burning in Hélène Vauquier's room. "'We can't go back now,' said Adèle in a frantic whisper. "'No, it is over. I daren't go back.' And Wethermill jammed down the lever. The car sprang forward and humming steadily over the white road devoured the miles. But they had made their one mistake. End of chapter 19.